I have really taken up this sort of position that I will die on this hill making it better for other women. I am not afraid to share my story, and I am certainly going to be going after the people in positions of power to ensure that this is changed and that it is a more equitable system. Does talking about your money make you cringe? Are you tired of fighting about finances? Do you want to stop sabotaging your financial happiness? Then you are in the right place. Welcome to Breaking Money Silence, a podcast series aimed at helping all of us talk more openly about money. Your host, Kathleen Burns Kingsbury, is a wealth psychology expert who is doing what she does best, speaking about taboo topics. International speaker, author, and founder of KBK Wealth Connection, Kathleen understands money and our relationship with it. Over the past decade, she has empowered thousands of people to break money silence at home and at work. Now, here is Kathleen. This episode is sponsored by PlanWell, BeWell. PlanWell, BeWell is a place that connects your financial well-being to your personal well-being. It's a place to inspire and learn, to define your aspirations, to begin articulating what well-being looks like for you, and a place to provide the financial tools needed to achieve your financial goals and live your intended life. Because when you plan well, you can be well, now and in the future. To learn more, visit planwellbewell.com. I am here today with Candace Sampson. She's been in the trenches with women across Canada for over a decade, sharing her self-depreciation humor and her passion for travel and food on her website, Life in Pleasantville. She's actually the owner and host of What She Said Talk, uh, has a podcast, and is super fun to chat with. I met Candace when we did a Facebook Live event together on the topic of women and money. And so we had so much fun, I thought I would invite her to be a guest on the Breaking Money Silence podcast. So welcome, Candace. Oh, thank you. It's so good to be here. Yeah, I'm really excited to talk to you about all sorts of things about money. But let's just start with Life in Pleasantville. I've always been intrigued by that title of your website, and uh, I believe it's also a blog. Tell, tell us a little bit about that and, and what that actually means. I joked that I was always searching for Pleasantville in real life and couldn't find it. So I created my own little version online. But, you know, it really comes sort of from the movie Pleasantville. I don't know if you remember that movie where it was do. all black and white. That's yeah. one of my favorite movies. I absolutely love that movie. And so I called it Life in Pleasantville. Now, here's the funny part. I get so many invitations to events in Pleasantville, New York. It's not even funny. <laughs> <laughs> and I actually don't live anywhere near there, obviously. I'm in Canada. Uh, but um, I wasn't really thinking that one through, I guess. But there are quite a few real Pleasantvilles out there. So I often get asked if I live in the actual Pleasantville. So that's so, the backdrop to it. Yeah. So so what's the mission? So I, you wanted to live in Pleasantville, but kind of how do you see your mission now and what you're doing with that website? It still remains the same. It's largely just my passions, which are food and travel. And the other reason that I called it Life in Pleasantville was that I'm a firm believer that wherever your feet are planted is the best place to be. And so Pleasantville is sort of anywhere you want to create it. And travel has really shown me that, you know, traveling around the world, that 
in seeing how people live and how happy they are in their environments. And we tend to think that, it's, you know, you could only be happy, say, in Canada or the United States, but there's all around the world people are happy in all different circumstances. And it's really your mindset that makes life pleasant. Oh, that's interesting. Because, you know, we talk a lot on this show about money mindsets. And, you know, it sounds like you've seen people of all different socioeconomic statuses and that you can be happy no matter what. I mean, that's my experience when I've traveled to countries that are a little bit poorer, that in some ways, I, I think some people are happier having less and appreciating what they have. What's your sense of that? You know, I honestly, that is such a timely, timely remark. We just moved and we moved into an old century home and what they did not have 100 years ago was closet space. And so what's happening right now is that I'm drowning in my own stuff and it is not making me happy. In fact, it's making me quite miserable to look around saying, oh, like how did I acquire so much crap? (laughs) (laughs) over the years, right? It's really what it is. It's just garbage. It's not adding any value to my life in any way, really. Uh, You know, obviously things like sofas to sit on do, but you know, all these extra clothes I've held on to and all these things you just accumulate over the years. And, you know, there really is truth to that, that idiom, you know, less is more. You know, what is interesting is when I moved to Vermont uh, about seven years ago, when we first moved here, we were going to simplify our lives. We sold everything, our house, most of the stuff we had in our house. And in a matter of seven years, I've acquired a lot of crap. So it is an interesting phenomenon that happens. I mean, some of what I, I own, I really love, like my skis and my mountain bike and my kayak. But some of the other stuff I look at and I think, wow, I probably should be more mindful of that. Uh, so what do you plan on doing with all those all that all those clothes and all that stuff, Candace? Well, I, I, currently right now, I mean, I could just try and tuck it all away, but I'm making it purposely uncomfortable for myself right now, looking at it all so that I'm I, I get frustrated to want to actually cull and get rid of stuff because I do want to simplify and not be carrying this stuff around because it's just you become a slave to your stuff. So that's my plan is just to sort of really cut and cull. And we tend to, to your point about, you know, you, you downsized and then you, you sort of accumulated again there. You, we tend to fill the space we're in. And Ab- so yeah, I, absolutely. I try, I try to, I'm, I'm sort of thinking, well, uh, I cannot, I, this space is filled to the brim. <laughs> <laughs> so let's, let's get rid of it. It'll make life a whole lot easier. So that's, that's my hope anyway. Yeah, that, that was our mistake. We got three garages. I really think if we got one or no garage, we would have been in a better spot. But let's, let's get back to the topic at hand. So when I met you for the first time, we were doing a Facebook Live, and it was about women and money and all different types of topics. But what came up during our conversation was your pending divorce. And I know you've written about it in your blog, and you've spoken publicly about it. I'm curious, when it comes to your relationship with money, how has going through this transition, which I understand you're still in, uh, impacted how you think and feel about your finances? That is such a huge question. I could talk for hours on this, but it has actually changed every aspect of my relationship with money, every aspect. And because I think I was, well, I know I was, living in a space 
that I trusted, I believed, I thought everything would work out, and and it didn't. And I I laugh a little bit because you know the night that I left my marriage, it was maybe a couple of hours before. And my ex-husband was sitting around a campfire, you know, being Mr. Wonderful, telling everybody how, you know, if a marriage ends after 20 years, it's 50-50. That's all there is to it. It's as simple as that. And, you know, he's not such a feminist anymore because three and a half years into this, I still haven't seen a penny of my (laughs) 50-50. Wow, that's so stressful. Yeah. And so... The, the there is obviously often a disconnect between what somebody says and what they do and what he has done and the position he has taken is that I don't deserve a penny. And, and so, uh, and so yeah. wait, who, who made the money in the relationship? Was it both of you or? Yes, both. Yes. And so, and there's a lot of things that come into the play in this conversation as well that include, you know, conversations about the patriarchy and how, how our society works. Because on the Justice of Canada website, for example, there is a whole page dedicated to how divorce disproportionately affects women. You know, we, we lose you know, our income is affected for up to six years and sometimes it never recovers. You know, our income decreases by 30%, whereas a man's only decreases by about 6% after divorce. So there's all of these things that are listed that are actual just known facts. And then the disconnect happens because the court systems aren't actually doing anything to affect these realities. They're still living in this same world where we give the benefit of the doubt to a person who refuses to participate. So there's just all of these flaws in the system that I've come to realize, obviously, because I've been doing this now for three and a half years. So that has been a very frustrating journey for me. And because of what she said, which is my radio show, and my my whole mission and purpose with that is to empower women, educate women, um, elevate them. And so because of that, I, I have really taken up this sort of position that I will die on this hill, making it better for other women. I am not afraid to share my story, and I am certainly going to be going after the people in positions of power to ensure that this is changed and that it is a more equitable system. Yeah, you mentioned Canada, and unfortunately, it's the same in the U.S. I mean, I don't know the stats off the top of my head, but when you do look at women going through divorce, often they are the ones who are financially not as well off. Uh, And I certainly know that at a time of the pandemic and COVID, I'm sure that complicated your picture. It has certainly complicated a lot of what's happening in the court system here as well. So when it comes to your individual relationship with money, if you could think back, you know, during your marriage or even during your courtship, how would you describe your relationship with money? Like what, if you had to use three words, what would the three words that you'd use to describe how you thought about finances or how you manage finances? Stupid, stupid, stupid. You know, oh, I just, that's I, you know, that's harsh on myself. Stupid? No, I, I think I was, you know, I, I think I get frustrated because I go, oh, look at that, you know, look at what we wasted here or look at what we did there. You know, you get frustrated and, re- and annoyed with yourself. But the reality is, you know, growing up for me, the here are the things I heard in the house. 
money doesn't grow on trees. <laughs> You know, <laughs> like um, money was was tight, but then I was spoiled rotten because I was an only child. And um, and I do use that term spoiled rotten lightly. I mean, my parents were so good to me. They went out of their way to ensure that I had everything. So but it, that that created, I think, a little bit of a misunderstanding in my mind about how it all worked. And then, you know, if I would ask about thing certain things I was told it was none of my business that I that was you know private information because that is very much how my parents understood that discussion around it you know and now with my daughters I'm sitting here saying to them look if you if you start investing now you know learn from my mistakes if you start investing now you can be a millionaire by 30 and then you can you know keep building your wealth throughout your life because you'll want that and obviously my discussions with them around marriage and everything is is as affected as well but yeah when i look back on sort of my relationship with money i think i was uninformed and I think we could look out at just about every sort of aspect for a lot of people, like education. We do not teach this in school. I mean, we're, we're starting to in Canada. I don't know about the United States, but a in little Canada, bit. There are some moves to teach it in more school systems, but it's dismal right now. What's happening? Maybe seven right. states, seventeen states. It's small. It's a small. Well, in on, yeah, in Ontario, the province that I'm in, we just had a. Um, an introduction now we have a financial literacy course which will be taught in the schools that's huge and i'm so thrilled with that because you know why are we teaching square dancing and not how to do your taxes are they that's, really that's teaching crazy. square dancing we still teach square dancing in schools that's wow. still part of the curriculum in a certain grade it makes me laugh you I know i want to put down anybody who's into square dancing but it does seem like a life skill around money would trump a certain type of dancing. Oh, for sure. It's like <laughs> a classic meme every year at tax time, right? I'm so glad I learned about parallelograms because it's parallelogram season again. <laughs> <You know>? <laughs> <laughs> like, like, I, uh, taxes are a little more important, right? And even understanding how the tax, tax system works. You know, people just lack any sort of understanding about the money that comes off of their paycheck and where it goes, they just don't understand it. Yeah. And I think what you're talking about is not is a couple of different things. So one has to do with the money silence in your family, which, yep. you know, often is well intended. Our parents didn't have a roadmap for talking about these things. So it's hard to pass on those skills. And then the money silence in the school system and also the cultural sense of you know, we all are paying taxes, we're all doing certain things, but why aren't we talking about it? So I want to break that money silence, um, but first I need to take a quick break. So I am with Candace Sampson, and we are talking about, in a moment, the advice she would give her younger self. We'll be right back. You know that negotiating your fees and getting paid what you're worth is emotional business. And I know how to help you become a rock star negotiator. So I am offering an exclusive group experience, a masterclass on negotiating for a hand-selected group of business women. So if you're highly motivated, career-driven, and ready to take a deep dive into your money story and learn how to shift sabotaging beliefs so you can earn more, then this masterclass is for you. 
I'm taking applications now and space is limited to eight kick-ass women. You're gonna get individual and group coaching, both facilitated by me, as well as video lessons, handouts, and a bunch of bonuses to help you become the rock star negotiator I know you are. So check it out at breakingmoneysilence.com backslash negotiating hyphen masterclass and register today. I'm here with Candace Sampson. She has a website, Life in Pleasantville, and she's also the owner and host of what she said, talk, radio. Uh, and we were just talking about all the things that are wrong with the system when it comes to our relationship with money. But I want to have you think a little bit, Candace, and share from your personal experience. If you could go back in time, and I know you can't, but if you could, and you were to give yourself financial advice, what would it be? What would you tell your younger self? Whew. I think the first, the very first thing I would tell myself, I wish I could go back in a big way, is to save money and not a lot of money. Just, you know, a little bit of money makes a huge difference. That's something that I've started to do over the last few years. And it has kept me afloat just making regular contributions to savings um, over the last three years has helped in a big way. Now I think back and think, oh my gosh, if I had been doing this over the last 30 years, the difference would have been huge. So that would be the first thing is absolutely make sure you're following, you know, the 50, 30, 20 rule as much as possible and putting money away and investing it. Um, For people who thing, don't know what the 50, 20, 30 rule is, can you say a little bit more? Oh gosh, you're going to ask me now to break it down. So it's twenty percent savings. Is that correct? Fifty percent is for your living expenses. Thirty percent. I can't remember where that thirty goes, and twenty is savings, right? Yes, and you know I don't use that formula too much, but we will put it in the show links. <laughs> yes, yes. <laughs> the definition. Um, um, but in general, what you're saying is saving and really thinking about. And what I like about this message for your younger self is that it's not saving a ton, it's not denying yourself, but it's making sure you put some away on a regular basis starting early. Because I really like that you said that. I like that you said it's not denying yourself because I think that's important because I think a lot of people think, oh, well, now I'm going to deny myself a night out or that nice outfit I want or, you know, whatever it is. And truly, you're just not denying yourself anything. In fact, if you do it in a way that it automatically comes off your paycheck or comes out of your account or whatever, you don't even notice that money gone. Like, take it out and forget about it and then deal with what you have left and you'll find that you're not denying yourself anything. That's just a fact. Yeah, I'm a big believer in not oversaving. And I, you know, everybody has a different money personality. And part of that actually comes from when I was in my 20s, I saved everything and I would not splurge because of my own money issues. I would not buy anything that was, you know, not on sale. Some people would go on these great trips or were saving for their house. And I was just saving to save and didn't uh, really make use of that money. So that's, you know, certainly my passion. So any other advice you would give your younger self? So save, put a little away, don't deny yourself. Yeah, and I would say uh, get everything in your name. Uh, when you get to the part where you know, you're know you going to be merging finances with a partner, you still have to maintain your autonomy financially. I think that's crucial. And you know, as much as it's, you know, we fall in love and we wanna trust, 
those things can fall apart and you do need to protect yourself and don't kid yourself into thinking you don't. You never know. I mean, I was married for 20, 20 years. I was together with this person and it all fell apart in a heartbeat. And, you know, so and then, of course, what what happened to me? I was not prepared for that financially. I was not ready for that. Yeah, and even I mean, I I think that's great advice. But even if you you know, you, I get the love and the marriage and everybody's you know, it it's part of what ends up happening. But even as women in a happy marriage, we should have some financial autonomy, and we should have an ability, even if it continues, to make sure because something ultimately is going to happen, which is kind of a bummer, but death do us part means mm-hmm. death do us part, or someone becomes ill, or like you said, in a heartbeat, uh, something that you thought was going to last forever doesn't. So uh, I really think uh, learning to protect yourself, it, it, it could be that your marriage isn't going to last. It could be that your marriage is going to last, but it just kind of makes good sense when it comes to finance, don't you think? It- such a good point because I remember doing an interview uh, with um, somebody from Meridian and they talked about that. And they said, the reality is, you know, even though we may not want to think about it because these things are hard to think about, you are going to spend some portion of your life alone and independent. And so you need to be ready for that. No matter, it, it, like you said, it doesn't matter if your marriage is happy or not, it, your, your spouse you know, could could pass away before you do. You will spend some portion of your life alone and you do need to be prepared for that. Yeah, no, definitely. So I imagine you're teaching your kids lots of lessons about life and about relationships. But when it comes to money, what would you say you really want to make sure that your kids know? Oh, I'm a little bit like, again, this sounds like I'm so, I'm a little bit resentful and bitter, but I want <laughs> <laughs> I want my kids to know that they need to do it on their own. No, Nobody on a white horse is going to come in and rescue them. Particularly for women, we often sort of think this, right? And um, I just, I want them to know that it's really important to just be able to stand on your own two feet at any point in your life because you just, you just never know what's going to happen. So that would be the biggest message I would send them. Of course, I want them to fall in love and have a wonderful relationship. And those are all things that I, I truly, truly do hope for them. But I don't want, I don't think we should tie up money with that. Those are two different things, I think. And uh, I think often we, we, we confuse the two. Absolutely. I don't know if you know about this book. It's, it's older, but it's by Barbara Stanny. And it's called Prince Charming Isn't Coming Anymore. And so the whole premise is, you know, her own experience, but about um, going through a divorce and realizing, you know, all the fairy tales that we're told about the knight in shining armor are not true and that we need to take care of ourselves. So that's a great message uh, for your kids. It's a great message for our listeners. I also, I mean, we're out of time today, but I know that you have some other advice around businesses and things. So if there was an opportunity, Candace, to have you back to talk about some of the lessons you learned from a business perspective, would you be game for that? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. And just, you know, even just because of, as I mentioned, my show is all about uh, women and and really uh, dealing with women in business has been wonderful. My whole experience with it has been wonderful, um, just in the way they treat each other and, and talk to each other and the empathy that often comes through. There is a very different 
women have a very different way of connecting in business. So I would love to have that conversation sometime. Yeah, so that'll be our teaser for our follow-up in 2022. But for now, I want to hear just one tip or one thought you want to leave our listeners with. Oh, educate yourself as much as possible by listening to podcasts like Breaking Money Silence, reading books, and and talking to financial advisors. I can't stress that enough. Just educate yourself. Uh, It's huge. Excellent. So where can people find more about you and all the good stuff you're up to? Oh my gosh, I'm everywhere, everywhere. Uh, it's, it's, I, more I'm specific, like, Candace. I'm exhausted <laughs> trying to keep up with my with myself online. So Life in Pleasantville has its own social channels. You can search Life in Pleasantville. It will come up on the website. It'll come up on every social channel. Uh, and then for same, uh, what she said, uh, talk, same thing. Same thing for Instagram, Facebook, web page, and obviously podcast. It's what she said with Candace Sampson. Awesome. Well, we put all your links in the show notes. And I love that you are so committed to empowering women and to use your experience to rise above and make sure that the next generation uh, is taking care of themselves. So thank you so much for joining us today and Breaking Money Silence with me. Thank you so much, Kathleen. This episode is sponsored by PlanWell, BeWell. Plan Well, Be Well is a place that connects your financial well-being to your personal well-being. It's a place to inspire and learn, to define your aspirations, to begin articulating what well-being looks like for you, and a place to provide the financial tools needed to achieve your financial goals and live your intended life. Because when you plan well, you can be well, now and in the future. To learn more, visit planwellbewell.com. Thank you for listening to Breaking Money Silence, hosted by Kathleen Burns Kingsbury, a wealth psychology expert, author, and founder of KBK Wealth Connection. If you like what you heard today, be sure to subscribe on iTunes or your favorite podcast app and leave a review. Also, share this episode with your friends and family. It is a great way to get the conversation started. For more money talk tips and information, or to hire Kathleen to speak at your next event, go to www.breakingmoneysilence.com.